I was writing my sermon because I, I, I need that. And about 12 o'clock, it, uh, it hit me. No, wait, I was watching a ball game last night. But this is what happened. And I, I don't care about the outcome of the ball game. You know what happened. But over and over again, I did change my intro. I didn't change my message, but I did change the intro. Over and over, after about the second quarter, there was a dialogue between the two commentators on the game, especially when they, they, they would pan the stadium and they were looking at people walking out of the stadium. And they said they don't have faith, but the players, I'm telling you, the 85 players on the sidelines, those that are playing the game, the coaches in Alabama, they have faith. I've I was even texting back and forth with some folks, and there are about 22 minutes left in the game, and they said, it's over. I said, there's no way it's over. And at the end of the game, listen to these words. At the end of the game, the coach for the winning team was asked the question, and the question was this, how, how in the world could you, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing for sure, it was 1230, come on, but it said, how in the world could you come into Tuscaloosa and win back-to-back? And here's what he said. He said two things. One, we won't even take into account. He said we recruit well, but then the second thing is what really mattered. He said, I believe, we believe in what we're doing here. Alabama and their players believed, and they, and they came back. They, they came back multiple times, and it was a toss-up game right there at the end. Ole Miss believed. This morning, I want us to look at that word in Romans chapter 4. The word is faith. The word is believe. And I, I want us to see that as it unfolds, as Paul gives a great illustration. It is the illustration of one man's whole life. We saw part of it last week. We really keyed in on the last part of chapter 3 and the first couple of verses of chapter 4. But I want us to spend our time this morning looking at Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading for us in verse number 13. And as I read, I want you to think about this man by the name of Abraham. He didn't start his life by having that name. He started his life by having the name of Abram, and God changed it, and we'll talk about that. But Paul picks up the story because he had already told them in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, that it had already been counted as righteousness. Abraham had already received this promise because it had been counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. And here's what it states in verse 13. Now here's the promise. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring, that Abraham, that, that he would be heir of the world. How would you like that to be the title after your name? Who are you? I'm heir of the world. Pretty good title. He said that it did not come through the law. We kind of looked at that last week, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law, if it's those who keep the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. 
Verse 15, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the purpose, excuse me, the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you, this is God talking to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. If you underline in your Bible and you don't have that underlined, you need to under that is huge. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust, verse 20 states, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him, they were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, in Christ, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Heavenly Father, I bow. And God, I, I pray this morning, God, I pray that you Father, you would push out of our minds and out of our thoughts the things that are happening in this world. Father, you, you would push out those things that aren't of you right now. And Father, that you and your Spirit who dwells in the, the heart of every believer, Father, you would draw our focus to this text. You would draw our focus to this, to this word, faith. And Father, those that aren't your sons and your daughters. Father, I pray that distractions would be pushed out of their minds and they would hear clearly this morning. Whether young, middle-aged, or old, whether male or female, Father, they would hear this morning the gospel. They would hear your love for them. They would hear your plan for them and what you have done for them. They might come to know you. For it is by faith alone through grace alone, as a gift by you alone, that one is saved. So, Father, as we look at faith, I pray that you would, you would speak and you would show this body, these men and women, your word. Draw them close to you. Draw us close. Speak to me. Speak through me. I pray in Christ's name.
Amen. Last week we looked at we looked at counted as righteous, and we looked at that word righteous. And what was counted? It was to write something down in the asset side of the ledger. It was it was something to your account. It was something to Abraham's account. And what was given to him was that aspect of righteousness or him being righteous in God's sight. Today we're going to look at faith. We're going to see it as we walk and see Abraham's and Abram's and then Abraham's whole life unfold as Paul is writing to these in Rome. And as we look at that, and as we see this man's faith, I, I believe there's application for you and there's application for me for us to put it into practice at this moment, for us to put it into practice today, for us to change the way that we are going to live our weeks and the way that we're going to live the rest of our lives because we understand and we put into practice, we apply what this passage teaches. Let me first share with you uh, an acrostic uh, about faith, and that's what we're going to walk through. It's not going to be on the screen, and I'm going to use the three points that are on the screen to um, kind of expound upon and expand this acrostic. Here is faith. Faith is first its facts, then it's agreement, then it's internalization, or you internalize something, then you are trusting, and finally you are hoping. Faith is facts, agreement, internalized trust, and hope, and that's what we're going on today, all right? So, let's look first at the facts. Faith starts with facts. Look here in this passage in front of us today and you see some facts. You see the fact that there is this man Abraham and he has been promised something by God. He has been promised something in this passage or this passage in Romans chapter 4 is speaking about a promise that had been given to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. Abraham lived some 4,000 plus years ago. He he lived in a day and an age where he was the first Jew because he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, out of a family that, that did idol worship, and he was called to leave that place to travel across Mesopotamia to enter into a place where God was going to show him into a land that he was going to give him. And he and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, started out because faith. Here's the fact. The fact is that in Genesis chapter 12, God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to make you a blessing. And he had zero heirs. He had no kids and he was 70 plus years of age at the time. He comes back in Genesis chapter 15 and he reiterates it and says, I am going to bless you. I promise you this, Abraham. I promise you this, Abram. And just to let you know that, let me change your name. So in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now let's stop for just a second. Because when you and I say Abram or you and I say Abraham, it does not resonate as to what those two names literally mean. So let me try to transliterate it for us and translate what it literally meant in 
Hebrew, and when he would hear his name called, here's what he would be hearing in his ears. When he would hear the name Abram, here is what he would be hearing. You are a great father. Now think about that. You're a man. You have zero descendants. And for 75 years, you hear, you're a great father. You're a great father. Hey, you're a great father. Go take the dishes to the sink. Hey, you're a great father. Why don't you go hook the, uh, the team up so we can do some plowing? Hey, you're a great father. Get the tent poles going. Hey, you're a great father. Why don't you help me with this? And then God says, no, you're not just a great father. You're the father of a multitude of nations. Hey, father of a multitude of nations. I have zero descendants, God. Hey, father of a multitude of nations, of many nations. Why don't you go do this and why don't you go do that? Would you want to get out of bed any morning? Here are the facts. The facts are that Abram was a great father. The facts are that Abraham was the father of a multitude of nations. The facts are that Eleazar, his servant, was not going to be his descendant. The facts are that Ishmael, the son who he and Sarah concocted this plan. Well, maybe it's not through you, Sarah. You're too old to have kids, so maybe it's, yeah, I guess, maybe it is through Hagar. So he goes into Hagar, and there is offspring, and it's Ishmael, and there is a prayer by Abraham in the book of Genesis that says, oh, that, oh, Father, oh, God, that, that Ishmael would just walk before you, that you would have that promise would be answered through him. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. And you don't worry about Ishmael. He will be the father of 12 princes. He will be a great nation and there will be a multitude of nations that come from him. But he is not the heir that I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 17, God says this. He says, you're going to have a son. Just so you understand this, I'm going to name him Laughter. Uh, His name's going to be Isaac. Because you laughed at it and Sarah laughed at it. But I'm telling you, this is the fact. The fact is you will have an heir. His name will be Isaac. He is the heir of promise. And everything that I'm telling you will come about through him. So at 75. And at 65. Sarah is 65. He's at 75. God gives these promises. And he comes back and he meets with him the year before when he's 99 and Sarah is pushing 90. And he said, at this time, at this time next year, you're going to have a boy. And Sarah heard it from the tent and she starts laughing. But those are the facts. Now, it comes about that some of these things had to happen in Abraham. Some of these facts had to happen. They couldn't just be words. They couldn't just be concepts. They couldn't just be thoughts in his head. But they had to actually play out for this next aspect of faith. You have facts and now you have agreement. And there was a moment. (laughs) I'm, 
I'm laughing because if it were to happen to me, it, it would be a laughing moment. It would be a sarcastic and laughing moment. But he just hears the word. He just hears the word. Here's the fact, Abraham, that a year from now, I'm going to come back a year from now and you're going to have a baby boy. And I look at my body and I'm 99 years old. I look at Sarah and she's 90 years old and I say, yeah, right. Are you kidding me? There is no way. I'm dead. And she's as good as dead. That's what he says. He says, those parts, they don't work. And I'm sorry. And that's what God is doing. There is a fact But then Abraham had to come to the point that he agreed. He said, okay, God. There was agreement. Even though his body was 99 and Sarah's was somewhat 90, Abraham said, Lord, I agree with what you are saying. And even though there is death here, Even though for 99 years there has been no life. For 90 years her womb has been barren. I agree. Reminds me of a a saying up north. It, It can't happen here because the only ice that we have is usually it comes out of a cooler. But, but up north on the Great Lakes, uh, up north where there is inches and inches of ice, there's, there's a saying that one commentator put it this way. A person can have strong faith in thin ice and drown. Another person can have weak faith in thick ice and live. It all depends on what and who you have your faith in. Abraham says, I'm dead, and she's as good as dead. But his faith was not in himself. His faith was not in Sarah. His faith was not in in physical apparatuses happening. No, his faith was in the supernatural. His faith was in God Almighty who had promised multiplied times over for multiplied years that, hey, I'm going to give you an heir. His name's not Ishmael. His name's not Eleazar. Quit trying to do it on your own. Just agree. Abraham had great faith in God. He didn't have much faith in himself. Who was Abraham in himself? He was a liar. Who was Abraham in himself? He was a selfish, loving male because multiple times he looked at his wife who was beautiful and he said, hey, you better tell whoever we're going into, the ruler, that you're my sister and not my my, my wife because I like my head being right here on the top of my neck. And he did it multiple times. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He, He did it. Multiple times. You'd think he'd learn his lesson, but he didn't. He was an idolatrous man without Almighty God, but he believed. He agreed with God what he said. You will have a son. Now, upon that, we come to our first point. And here's the first point, that your faith, my faith, it moves once it is ignited. There was agreement. There were some facts, and then there was agreement to those facts from God to Abraham, and now faith moves once it's ignited. And to try to get you and to get me to understand that, we need to go to the third letter, which is internalize. 
Let me illustrate it this way. If, if you go and you drink some alcohol, no matter what type of alcohol it is, if you go and you drink some alcohol, it only takes a few seconds for that alcohol, which went into your mouth, to, uh, if, if your little toe was pricked and a tiniest drop of blood, seconds later, after you internalized that alcohol, it would show up in your little pinky toe. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol. If, if it's sweet tea, the sugar and the caffeine that was in that tea, or orange juice, the, the orange the sweetener, the, the sugar that's there, it would end up seconds later down in your toe. You say, Brian, why are you talking about stuff and internalization? Because don't you know that there is a, a direct link a direct link to the word fate and the word drink. Brian, there's no direct link to the word faith and drink. Not in the English, but in the language of the day of Romans chapter 4, there is a direct link in that Greek word of faith and drink. And it is a word picture because you can't just have faith and say, yeah, I believe it. Yep, I believe the facts about Jesus. I believe the facts that that he was a man, that he lived some 2,000 years. Yeah, that he even died on a cross. I believe those facts. That won't save you. Believing facts and even being in agreement will not save you. There must be some internalization. You must internalize it. It must be internalized. And the word here is key. Just as if you were to drink something and seconds later it would be found in the bottom of your toes or in the top of your head. Faith. For you to internalize it, for me to internalize it, it is going to be consumed by us. It's going to be taken in and it's going to be dispersed throughout the whole of the body. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 7 verse 37. He said, on the last day of the feast, the, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, listen, if anybody thirst, if anybody thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever faiths in me, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anybody's thirsty, why don't you come to me and and you take me, you internalize me and you believe in me and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Not only is faith, not only does it move once it's ignited, faith, the second point this morning, faith grows when it is used. If you read verse 20 down through verse 22, here's what Paul wrote and recorded in Romans chapter 4. He said, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You're like, Okay, Brian, we're just dropping in here. 
so to speak. Well, let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about an incident that took place in Genesis chapter 22. It's one of the strongest passages, one of the strongest pictures of his son, Jesus, before his son, Jesus, came. Faith grows when it is used. There were numerous tests in Abraham's life leading up to Genesis chapter 22. There there was test after test after test. Some of them he passed, some of them he failed, and he had to retake. But this test in Genesis chapter 22, the test of Isaac, the test of placing him on the altar and literally raising the knife And allowing that knife to cut and kill his son. That was the test. And in that test, there had to be trust. Because Abraham got up early one morning after God told him, this is what I need you to do. This is what I want you to do. And here's what you are to do. I need you to go to a land that I'm going to tell you about. And I need you to offer up your son Isaac, your one and only son, the son of promise, the heir, the the promise of everything that I have already told you. And I need you to offer him on the altar to me to see if you love me more than you love him. If this were to be written about me, the next morning's account would be so much different. There's no way in the world I would have risen early. There's no way in the world that I would have went and saddled the donkeys early. There's no way in the world that I would have gotten the firewood, that I would have gotten Isaac up, that I would have gotten the two servants, and we would have hid out of town early. But that's exactly what Abraham did. After hearing it the night before, he rose early and did all of those things, and he set out on a three-day journey And here's what he told him. You go read it in Genesis chapter 22. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. He says, hey, you two guys, you stay here. The boy and I are going to go over there to that place where God is showing me and pointing me. And we're going to worship over there and we are going to come back. You say, Brian, what's so big about that? Well, for three days, I wonder what he was thinking. For three days as he's walking and as he's watching Isaac take a step right beside him, right with him. For three days, I don't know how much talking there was. Maybe there was a lot of talking. And he was telling Isaac, hey Isaac, you remember this. You remember, here's what God has said. Remember Isaac, I was 99 and your mom was 90 when you were conceived. That God out of death brought life and you are the promise, you are the... Maybe there was a ton of talking. There probably was. But I know all the way he wasn't just talking to Isaac. He was talking to himself. I believe God. I believe God. I believe that he gave me Isaac. I believe that he is the heir of the promise. I believe every word that he said that I will be a blessing to the nations and the nation, the whole world will be blessed through him. I believe, and he takes another step. I believe, and he takes another step. And for three days, trust is being walked out. God, you said this. God, you said that he was the heir. God, you said that he was the one of promise. God, you said all of these things were going to come about through him. I trust you. My question 
to you this morning is, what do you trust in? You trust in something. I trust in something. We trust in something or someone. And we have great trust or we have a very little trust, but we do trust. And the picture has been given of a man who lived some 4,000 years ago of this great trust. Hold that thought and that question as we look at the final letter of faith. It is the H, and as we see the third point, the third point is this, faith rests on Jesus. There are facts, and there must be agreement to those facts. After there's agreement to those those facts, there must be internalization, or you must internalize them. You must start to to see that dispersed in your body and in my body as we work and as we talk, as we live. And there must be trust. And then finally, there is hope. Faith rests on Jesus. Read with me. I'll read it out loud. You read it silently. Look at it. It may come back up on the screen. But verse 22 down through the end of the chapter, here's what he states. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Why was it? You've got to go back up to verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. No distrust in those three days of journeying to put Isaac on the altar. No distrust as they were there and he bound him and he actually put him down there. No distrust as he had the knife about to come down. There was no distrust that caused him to waver. But he grew strong in his faith. And he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, what he had promised, that through Isaac, all this would happen. That's why his faith, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the word, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised Him from the dead, our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Faith rests on Jesus. It must rest on Jesus. I asked you the question, who or what do you trust in? I, I, I believe that there are often times where you and I get it wrong. There are often times where you and I miss it because our faith is in faith. Our faith is not Our focus and our faith is not in in the one, as Paul stated it there, who was delivered up for our trespasses, who was placed on the cross, who shed His blood, who His blood was spilled, and His, His life was poured out for you and for me, and three days later was raised for our justification. Now, we we have faith, and it's often in our faith. Well, I'm going to do better. 
Uh, it was just a rough week. I, I'm telling you, the only reason that I lashed out was because of all the stress. But I'm going to do better. I'm going to pull my bootstraps and pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to tie my shoes tighter. I'm going to put them in a double knot so that I won't trip over. I'm going to make sure that I have everything ordered out. Faith and faith fails. You and I must see the facts. We must agree to the facts. We must internalize those facts. And we must trust and place our hope not in hope, not in faith. But as Paul stated, there was one who paid the price for you. He paid for your trespasses. He paid for your sins. He paid for your iniquities. He took your place on the cross as payment for all that you have done. Everything. Everything as a five-year-old. Everything as a 15-year-old. Everything as a 25-year-old. Everything as a 95-year-old. He paid for every single one of those. And you and I must also have hope that he didn't stay in the grave. That three days later, he arose. His death paid for your trespasses. His resurrection from the dead brings about your hope and my hope brings about your justification so that God looks at you through the blood, through the payment, through the death of Jesus as if you'd never sinned. And that's what he's offering you. That's what he's offering me. And if you understand that, you and I can be like Abraham. Not that we walk up Mount Moriah and we have our son or our daughter in tow and we're putting them. No, but we can walk confidently, no matter the trial, no matter the stress, no matter the time, no matter the issue, your health's failing. You can take that next step. Your spouse says goodbye. You can take that next step. You don't get into the school because of the tests aren't good enough. You can take that next step. You lose your job. You can take that next step. You look at the, at the lines of assets versus liabilities and they are so out of kilter. You can take that next step. Not because you can do it yourself in this situation, but because you know the one who is walking there with you. You know the one who has taken your place, who has paid the price, and who has conquered death, sin, and the enemy. The offer is still there today. You heard me read it multiple times. Let me read it one more time. But the word. It was counted to him. They weren't written for his sake alone, but they were written for yours also. They weren't written for Abraham's sake alone or even his contemporaries. They weren't written for those that were just in Rome some 2,000 years ago. They were written for you and for me. Those words, his life, that illustration... These words in Romans chapter 4, they're written for you and they're written for me that we might live differently today. Because he was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. And that is faith. Those are the facts. You and I have to come into agreement with those facts. We have to internalize those facts. We have to trust and we have to hope. I can't do it for you. 
spouse can't do it for you, your dad, mom can't do it for you, your best friend. We can't do it for anybody except ourselves. We must have faith, and God is the, the one who works. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, you rule and reign in splendor and in majesty. You rule and will rule for all the ages. God, we come this morning to lift high your name. Father, there is no other name. There's no other name that we can call upon. There's no other name under heaven that we can call upon to be saved except your son, Jesus Christ. What a great picture. Thank you for allowing us to have Romans chapter 4, to see the picture of faith in the life of Abraham. Father, so much more for that last verse. Thank you so much for the gift that you have given us in your Son who took our trespasses and paid the price. Father Paul writes in, to the church at Corinth about that moment that Jesus was rich. Oh, He was rich with all the riches of glory and He became poor so that we might become rich. Father, might we get that today? Father, might I get that today? That all those riches are there in Your Son. Not just because He paid the price, but because He rose from the dead and we serve a risen, living, ruling, reigning, glorious Savior. Lord and King forever and ever. God, may we get that. May we live that out. 